0: Couldn't decide on a song. Couldn't decide on a song. We couldn't decide on a song. So we came up with this one. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 45 of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, your source for all things indie film. I'm one of your hosts, Sasha Dumont.
1: I'm another host, Mr. Paul Robert Robinson.
0: Alright, threw the middle name in there this yeah, time.
1: That's right. So we have it's a official. guest.
0: From across the pond.
1: Oh, international guest.
0: Yep, yet another international guest has agreed to be on the show. Go figure.
1: Well, they, if you're at, not in this country, you don't know you don't know about us yet, so you don't know <laughs> whether we're good or bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we're here with uh, Emmett Cook.
1: Hi guys. Hey. Hi. How are you doing? Thank you so much for coming on.
0: Yeah. So um, I had actually reached out to Emmett because I was stalking his work via Premium yeah. Beats. <laughs>
1: Right, because we, you know, as filmmakers, we're always looking. If we want to cut a trailer together, we're not. I mean, we are kind of are actually our musicians, which is pretty sad. But we're not good we're enough. Not great musicians. Yeah. So we're always finding, trying to find music, as many people are. And then, yeah, this his music just kind of resonated with us.
0: Yeah. So my folder He'll literally
1: score our entire catalog with his stuff. My
0: uh, yeah. my folder has I think like twenty six samples of which. I think fourteen or his. Oh wow! <laughs> so, uh, so tell us tell us a bit about what you do.
2: Cool. Well, um, yeah, I'm a composer for music uh, of music for film and TV. Um, I suppose there's two sides to what I do. I I score music directly for film and TV, but then on top of that, I also um, do stock music, like the stuff that you have. Um, and I guess I kind of I get a lot of work through that then too because people like you kind of use my music in the films and then might want mm-hmm. more of that type of music um for the rest to flesh out the rest of their projects. So yeah, I, I do both. Um I guess I do stock music and um score music specifically custom to film and TV. Um generally for kind of adverts and documentaries. So I've done a few feature films as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome. And in case in case it isn't evident, uh you're from Ireland?
2: Yep. In case you can't tell from the accent, and
0: you—is uh, it was it Waterford?
2: Yeah, Waterford. So it's in the southeast okay. of Ireland. It's kind of not many people know about it. Waterford Crystal is from here. That's kind of what everyone usually remembers.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, we've heard of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. dense Americans got crystals. Got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So your your music is uh, one of your songs in particular. I really enjoyed that was on Premium Beats was uh, a legend is born. Oh yeah. That that's it's a. Like just picture like the most epic kind of like Game of Thrones battle scene, yeah. Uh, and you know, it's a, it's like it's a bad song to listen to while driving because it's just you just want to be so aggressive. <laughs> 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 I want to fight off trolls when I listen to that. <laughs> um, but it's but you you know, it music in film. We were just recently watching something that was on television, and it was a, a really like a um, you know a, a big studio film and. The, the scene that was playing out, I don't know who was in charge of picking the music for the scene, but we both looked at each other and went like, what? Because it did not reflect the mood of that scene at all. So yeah. music is so, so important. I mean, take you right out if it's not the right thing. So, like, basically, you know, what what is your, I guess, like, what's your uh, approach?
2: Approach, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just to. Like I'd agree with that. I guess. I mean, music can have just such an effect on on any scene. The the right music can elevate it. The wrong music can just bring it in a totally different direction. And a lack of music even can do something completely different for it as well. I mean, even if you just look at um, a horror film, if you were to watch a horror film with no music and no sound effects in the background it's it's a totally different type of film you know mm-hmm. um, so i mean music just does have such a, a huge effect on um on on an entire movie and down to the micro level of of scenes um i mean you, you can tell so much just with music you can um i mean you can foreshadow you can um you, you can completely change the storyline just with a, a different style of music um to what the audience might be expecting yeah i mean there's, there's so many different ways to approach it i guess um the big thing is that there's no right way to do it just like filmmaking there there, there's a few good ways to do it but that's not necessarily doesn't that doesn't mean that other ways will will work or won't work um so i guess when i whenever i'm starting a project um like at the moment i'm in the early stages of um scoring a, a feature film a feature documentary so it's um it's called train avenue and that's about um the basically the story is there's a um, there's an artist and he he has found um, some animals that have been kind of killed and left by the railway tracks and he wants to memorize, kind of give them some sort of meaning to their life so he cremates them, puts them into um, paint and makes paintings with their ashes so it's kind of, it's an unusual story oh. but it's, it's quite interesting so with that one I guess um, myself and the director were both kind of in the very early stages of the score at the moment and How I work, I guess, is that I try and, first of all, I want to understand the story. So, like, what are the important parts of the story? What's the actual story that the director wants to tell? Um, I mean, I might have an idea of what I think the story is, but maybe the director has a different idea of what the story actually is. Then from there, um, the very first thing I'll do is... Um, I guess it's called eating the frog just kind of get some ideas just musical ideas just out just to have something to start to work with and so with the the very first musical rough cuts they're the early drafts they're they're like rough cuts for film I guess you know like you guys whenever you have Mm -hmm. a rough cut of anything it's always rough really really rough same with music Mm -hmm. any of the early drafts that I do they're just to get sounds out so textures um just moods, different ways, colors. Even I guess you know, just really, really rough ideas of how we want the music to sound. Sort of creating that sound palette, and then from there, we'll look at, um, I suppose, what type of a score it needs. Is it uh, atmospheric score? Is it is it a score with a melody? Is it a score that has actual themes for each of the characters? And then kind of build on top of that. So generally what some composers would do at that point is build an actual suite. So write like 20 minutes of music nonstop, an entire musical mm-hmm. suite. Jeez. And then you can dissect that down and take small little sections, just a little line from here or there, and start chopping it up and incorporating the entire suite into the rest of the cues throughout the film. Um, and that's only one way to do it. I mean, that's not the right way to do it. I do it in lots of different ways, depending on the director. Um, but that's kind of that way of writing an entire suite will be the common way that they they would do it in, in Hollywood films, usually for big, big kind of movie scores. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, there's so many different ways to do it. It really just depends on the workflow of the director and what they have in mind themselves.
1: I assume a lot of
2: directors will have you know like temp music in there yeah
1: um to kind of give you an idea of the uh you know the mood they're going for and um all that sort of stuff and i assume that you're going to deal with a lot of directors that possibly like want you to you, you know what i mean like where do you draw that line between when you have a director that really loves a piece of music but you know is not yours or is copywritten or whatever and then you want to capture that same mood but you don't obviously want to copy it or anything
2: yeah and i mean that's such a huge thing um so there's a few ways to approach that as a composer, I guess. Um, sometimes it's interesting to not have any temp music to start with and just kind mm-hmm. of try your own. Um, so score, just say like a scene or just have an idea of the type of music you want to write, first of all, and see if that lines up with what the director wants. Um, sometimes it might be completely different, but it brings a fresh idea to that director and yeah, a different, exactly, something yep. they may never have thought of before. But like you mentioned, Paul, like it's if if a director comes to you with temp music, it can be quite um, difficult to sort of disassociate yourself from that temp music and not get influenced by it in some way, shape or form. So if it if it is a case where there's specific temp music in mind, it can be quite difficult to say, well, here's the temp music they had. What Like what specifically is it in the temp music that they that the director likes? Is it the the pacing? Is it the instruments? Is it? Um, like the actual textures, the sound palette. And I mean, that that's kind of an art form in itself, dissecting the temp music to figure out what sure. the, the little ingredients that are in that temp cue that that the director does want um, and trying to push the rest away and not be influenced by those because it can be difficult. It's. It's like someone saying, don't think of a zebra. And the only thing you can think of is a zebra. <laughs> a zebra, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's like,
1: um, I, I assume that you can get so, um, you know, after editing over, you know, after the editing process in which you're watching it a million times, you can get so kind of hung up on, Yeah, you know, whatever you put in there uh, yeah. as a temporary fix. Yeah. Uh, that trying to break, especially us directors, we're very hard headed. So I was trying to, <laughs> trying to break us out of, this kind of comfort zone, I guess, that we're in with this temporary stuff. Yeah, I mean... It's probably probably a battle that you've fought more than once.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you can definitely become married to it, like, when you're constantly cutting to that, and you might cut a scene specifically to that temp music, so then it's difficult to try and put anything else in there. Um, I mean, like, a famous example of that is Interstellar. Um, like, Christopher Nolan didn't actually have any temp music and said to Hans Zimmer... He gave him a one-page explanation of this is a story about a father and a son. The father goes away. He doesn't mention it's a space movie. He doesn't mention it's you know, mm. time travel, anything like that. And he said to Hans Zimmer, "Now, just write me a piece of music based on this story." And Hans Zimmer came up with you know the organ kind of music for. And that never would have been something that you would have stuck the two of those together. You like, nobody would have assumed, actually, do you know what would go, go really well with the space movie would be organs? Um, but yeah, you know, right. it was such a, <laughs> such a different idea and it works incredibly well. So in that particular case, it worked out really well, not actually having any temp music and the composer not even knowing too much about what the film really was. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's an art form in itself to sort of be influenced by the temp music but also not be influenced by it Um, it, it can yeah. be a difficult sort of battle and I guess as well like the the other side of it is sometimes it's hard to it, it can feel like a bit of a fight of like this this is the temp music but this is the music I want to do and this is the temp music that I want and well I don't want that so it's kind of it's it's it can be a back and forth between the director and composer sort of trying to find that middle ground of what's the right thing for the scene not what the composer wants not what the director wants but right. what what actually works i guess for that scene and what it actually needs yeah i love that collaborative spirit
1: even like uh on on every level right you know if if i'm we, we've never been uh Fortunate enough, I guess, to have someone personally score a film of ours. But, you know, by
0: in, fortunate, you mean the budget.
1: Right. Budget. <laughs> They're said, out there. We're never just terribly <laughs> fortunate enough. But, um, you know, uh, having, even with actors, you know, having somebody take a fresh stab at something, I think, is so important because you can get so laser focused on what you're doing that you, you kind of, what is that expression? Missing the forest through the trees. Yeah, exactly. You know, and having a fresh, kind of pair of eyes or set of ears on on any kind of creative endeavor I think is really I don't know to me it's really really important you know
2: yeah absolutely yeah you know
1: whether it's editing or music or anything
2: yeah uh, and I mean it can be difficult as well to like you have to try and separate yourself from it because it's it's your love project like you know it's it's it can be hard to try and sort of see it from the audience's perspective then as well and um, so yeah I guess that's always important to sort of pull yourself back from it as a composer as well just Saying right, this is the music I think it needs. But hang on, if I was an audi- if I was in the audience, would this be right to have this kind of music? And is this is the music doing what it should do for this scene? I mean, is it doing something that that we're not expecting it to do? So yeah, it, yeah. I mean, we do the same. We do the same with the the edit
1: of the film. Right, there's scenes that I've. Watch and I'm like, I just love this scene so much, and the but it just doesn't help the story, and so mm-hmm. maybe you got to get rid of it. And it's like, you just you know. have
0: a different relationship with it. I think as a composer and as an editor, you're sitting with this scene in a different way than the audience is sitting with it. Yeah. It's, it's momentary for them, whereas yeah, right. you have been sort of in a, a relationship with this with this scene. And mm-hmm. I I personally like the idea of not having temp music, mm-hmm. um, especially with someone like Emmett, because I don't want to influence that. I want to know... What the composer is going to come up with, how they perceive the story, without wasting obviously time and resources, but just kind of seeing, because I, I think it's going to set a tone at that point. Just like um, when we were talking about how music can set a mood. When they those those sort of uh those edits that they did of Mrs. Doubtfire as a horror movie, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: You know, I, I mean, it's that's because of the music. I mean, the sure. edit the, the edit helps certainly. They, yeah. they edited it to look like a horror movie, but it's the music. I mean, that's the only only reason why you know that that's the direction you know they went with as soon as you you know the score hit you're like oh they turned this into a horror movie <laughs> yeah. and that's what makes it work the the um things like the exorcist with the tubular bells i mean when you hear that yep. i think of the exorcist at least mm-hmm. i do you know when you hear the the friday the 13th and you know you yeah you know that that music yeah um, i i i like the idea of just not having something in there because we've...
1: The the, 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 the clean canvas or yeah, whatever. Yeah, because we've yeah. done
0: this before and... Um we did. We're doing it now because we're going to be shooting a teaser, and I'm pretty sure the direction I want to go in with the music. But I've actually listened to some other things, also from Emmett and and a couple other people, and I've thought, you know, that would actually work too. Yeah. Uh, so I don't want to. I don't want to say this is the only sound that will go with this scene because that's not true.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You're kind of limiting yourself there a bit. I mean, again, with the one that I'm starting at the moment, Train Avenue like we um, were experimenting with sort of using train sounds to create kind of pad, pad sounds and textures and sort of a, a style of music just just out of using train sounds so like it would have been difficult to find music that was like that I guess um for temp music and mm-hmm. yeah and it probably wasn't something he was gonna he would have thought about doing but you know that's kind of part of the creative process I guess just there was sort of a blank canvas there and it was a, a different idea, I guess, that just might not have come up before.
0: And that topic's very specific too. It's not like it's a general. Yeah, you know, right. You know, it's like you you hear that very often. So you you have the freedom to sort of be really creative there because you're you're doing something that the audience is not really used to.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the flip side of it, though, I guess uh, the other side of the argument is that it can be quite freeing to have limitations on mm-hmm. what you're doing. So it is like sometimes it can be difficult to, if there is a blank canvas. Um, to go, wow, okay, now, like, what? where do I even start? <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. if there are, like, severe limitations on the other end of it, then actually that can work really well because you have to be even more creative to get around those restrictions and make the music interesting and usable and have a purpose, you know? So the, the other extreme, I suppose, can be quite interesting to work with as well.
1: Yeah, sometimes there's something very daunting about being able to do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: That's the it's honestly, fu- it's, it's not it's the fun, music part. It's fun, but sometimes part.
1: it's like, what, what, what do it's I do? It's the
0: process when we have to go through music, and it's like, all right, hit all of the uh, yeah the platforms that have royalty free music, and it's just so daunting because it's thousands and thousands. And of course, yes, I don't. need It's not a horror movie, so I don't need this sound. I can kind of whittle it down, but there's still hundreds and hundreds of songs. And after about an hour of that, I'm like, I don't even care anymore. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I need a break because if I listen to any more samples of music, I'm going to lose it. Yeah, um, And sometimes you can do that. You know, I've I've listened for close to two hours and not found anything that really matched. And it's like, I think it's you know, just like a, like a writer. You have to step away. Like, I just got to, I have to step away from this and, you know, just kind of come back to it when I'm not as frustrated because there's so, like you said, there's so many options now.
2: Yeah, and your ears can just become numb to it after a while of listening to so many different options then as well. Yeah, that's why
1: he's like, well, just hire a goddamn composer. <laughs> 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 just hire me. <laughs> <laughs> Budget it in. You hire there's a cinematographer. A, my problem is
0: like, the rabbit hole that I go down where I'm looking for something very specific yeah. but something else pops up that totally isn't going to go but I'm always like this would be great for something else yeah yeah, yeah. and that's kind of, that's how I went down with Emmett stuff I was looking for we were looking for something for um that was kind of like funny and lighthearted for an end credit, and then I I went into some of your music, and then I went down the rabbit hole. I'm like, this is so great for something I'm not even working on right now. <laughs> like, focus, focus, <laughs> save it, save it, save it. It just kept like saving everything. I was like, I'll get back well, to it. I'll get back to it could be inspirational
2: in that way, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. You know?
0: Is there so do you do you have any favorite composers that sort of yeah. influenced you or Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I was starting off, like I guess I, I was really influenced by minimalism and like Philip Glass and those kind of composers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess some of my early music would have been quite heavily influenced by that and still is to an extent, um, like nowadays, I guess I'm a bit more influenced by some film scores just because film scores are, I mean, like that film scores are just complete blank canvases. I mean, a film score can be absolutely anything and every single style of music all mashed into one. So that, that's why I love kind of film music in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's a couple that really stand out to me. Cliff Martinez, um, his stuff is just absolutely beautiful. Um, Solaris mm-hmm. is one of his um, movie scores, and that's just okay. absolutely incredible. It's uh, Have you seen the Solaris movie before? Yes. Yeah, I mean, just that that score, just works so perfectly with the movie. But just as a, as a standalone score by itself, the music, I could just drift off to sleep just listening to it. It's just, it's so relaxing, <laughs> but it's all these just textures that kind of intertwine with each other. Um, I mean, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, for people who started off Outside of film scoring and moved into it um, from a different area of the music industry, they they have kind of a, a different slant on their film scores, and they're really really quirky and interesting and always quite dark and just really interesting to listen to. So like Social Network, Gone Girl, those those kind of scores, I absolutely love them. Just there's a they can th- they can thread that kind of dark sound throughout their music, and just I think they can kind of really create interesting um themes throughout the scores that it just they just always stand out to me um uh, like the big ones as well I guess um Johan Johansson um -hmm. James Newton Howard and Hans Zimmer like a few of those um Daniel Pemberton has some great scores as well he did Into the Spider-Verse recently um oh yeah and that was just absolutely insane that that movie score just so, I don't know he, he's done absolutely crazy things with synthesizers and drums and it's just uh he's always really interesting um I guess textures and um he just always has an interesting take on the score every time I hear his scores
1: yeah and it, you know it's um the whole audio side of a film right not not just the music but just the um the atmospheres and the world building. Mm. And um, it's it's just so important because it takes you it takes you right out, like we've been saying. Mm. From a technical standpoint, are you building all this stuff digitally or do you have acoustic instruments that you kind of work into it?
2: Yeah, so it's a mix. Um, generally, it's always a mix anyway. Um, it depends kind of on time frames, but um, I'll always sure. try and incorporate some sort of an acoustic source into it. Um, so, I mean, I have a lot of different instruments in the studio here. And um, using just one of those as the basis of a particular sound and then using the rest as digital sounds um, mm-hmm. is, is always a great start. And um, like if you can incorporate any acoustic sound into your score, it, it just gives it more life. Oh yeah, I just imagine it would
1: add a, a level of complexity. I guess. I mean, you, you know, you know what you're doing, obviously, but just to work that in. Yeah, you know, it's just that you now you gotta now you gotta you gotta record it and and mix it and EQ it versus grabbing a, a sample that may have all, a lot of that already applied to it.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, with samples as well, they're static. Um you can you can do things to them to kind of add movement and add. Yeah,
1: I guess that's true. Yeah. Like Never a, mind then.
2: <laughs> well, I mean like I was just agreeing <laughs> with your point like I mean like a, a sample yeah. is like it's a snapshot of of a recording in time. So when you're using samples you're limited by those snapshots of the recordings. When you use like an acoustic source like if you just record a guitar line in like that's something that completely new that's never been heard before, ever before. That's like a very specific sound and it has actual life to it. There's always going to be like a a tiny little error here and there that will just make it sound real. Whereas samples are yep. usually just perfect little sounds um, that are all placed together. And the same with synthesizers, like digital synthesizers, they're always perfect sounds, but... I mean, if by using kind of more acoustic sound sources, then you're kind of blending a bit more life into the score.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point because, uh, you know, I've been known to strum the guitar from time to time. <laughs> and um, I do like some some mixing with that, you know, record a song or whatever. And it's just, to your point, it's just to that perfection that everything starts to sound fake. Yeah. You know, um, and I think that when you listen to, especially the genre of music that I like, everything has become so, um, I don't want to say perfect, but perfect. Perfect in terms of how it's recorded, and and you know they're basically just using all samples for drums, for for example, yep. and uh, everything is just so clean and so perfect. It kind of just starts to sound digital, and it, there's just no thickness or life to it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can overproduce records. I mean, there, there's, yeah. there's quite a few kind of examples of music that's kind of just hyperproduced, and it, it lacks life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like
1: our last album.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey, what can can you do?
1: (laughs) But it's true. You know, like I just I hate that kind of like overproduced.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But see, and then the the thing also that that I think I find that a lot of uh, fans of specific musicians or or musicians fans, rather, I should say, is that when they try to venture out and do something new, Mm -hmm. people usually don't take well to that. And I, I think that's even if I don't like the album, I think like, well, that's still sort of like a path that they needed to take. Before they jump back into, because usually it's like a it's a blip, you know. They want to do something different, yeah. and a, a good example of that is uh, Amy Lee from Evanescence. Mm-hmm. Um, she collaborated with Dave Egger, I believe it is.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and did with an the album score that of the yeah. Stone movie yeah. Yeah,
0: but then she did a whole album with him, yeah. which was yeah. a bit more like electronic, and people were like, "What the hell is this?" And it's like, well, you know, I, I think it's the job of a musician to listen to different things and yeah. and want to do different things. Is there is there anything that you favor a type of music that you like to do the most or
2: you know it keeps changing I guess um, I mean mm. I, I I keep listening to different things like I listen to kind of a, quite a few different genres of music and I might listen to one genre of music in the morning and go wow I'm totally gonna do something in that kind of style, and then I might write that and then kind of go, actually, do you know what? I kind of fancy doing something like this. So I kind of find it, I'm always sort of evolving and trying out different ideas and haven't mm-hmm. really... I don't like the idea, I suppose, of being stuck in one genre. Um, I know it can be... I know people say like if you try to do too many things, you won't be good at any of them. But I think I, I like kind of combining a few different genres into one and finding the, the best aspects of different areas and kind of putting them all together. And again, that that's why I like film scores because that's what film scores do. They they're a combination of so many different genres of music. Um, I mean, if I if I had to pick one, I guess I, I do like uh, I do like minimal music and specifically minimal orchestral music, which. Mm-hmm. Some of my stuff on Premium Beat will be as well some of my more popular stuff.
0: So uh, mentioning Premium Beat, what is what is that experience like um, having your work on there? I mean, is that I, I'd assume? I mean, is yeah, it you, like, lucrative sit, or do sit you... and
1: write things that you'd know sell, or you just write something and then hope it sells?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's it's kind of a mix of both actually. Um, it's kind of a one for me, one for you kind of <laughs> kind of thing. You know? Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I get that. Yeah. So I mean, like I mean, it's great. Like I get to say that I, I write music all day, every day and get paid for it. You know, it's, I mean, it, it's my absolute dream job. So I do enjoy sometimes just writing a piece just for, for fun. And kind mm-hmm. of if it sells, it sells. And if not, I, I don't really mind. Um, but I mean, there, there is definitely an aspect to it that you have to work in for, for stock music. If, if you're doing it to make money, you do have to work in kind of the genres that do make music. So if you're doing kind of a, right, you need Epic Trailer 05. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if you're, if you're writing like a jazz fusion back fugue kind of combination, nobody's really going to buy that. But if you're kind of writing corporate music or trailer music, I mean, there's a bigger kind of industry for those kind of tracks. So it does factor into it, I guess. Yeah. But I always try and kind of mix it between what I enjoy doing and experimenting a bit plus kind of what what is what people are looking for i guess
0: have you ever caught your music and something yeah absolutely oh, yeah.
2: yeah yeah i mean it, it's kind of i've watched tv before and sort of seen it on adverts and um tv shows and yeah it's a I saw it in cinema a few times as well like i mean it's really cool it's the first few times it happens it's just totally surreal kind of gone what that that's my music that doesn't seem right <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah i mean it's it's a really nice experience yeah.
0: and on that note have you ever had any of your stuff used without permission
2: oh yeah um, i guess it'd be hard to tell right because
0: well i mean if he composed something he would know oh, his per, own yeah yeah yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, i mean there's been one or two cases but it's sort of it's kind of worked itself out i guess you know it's um I mean, the whole YouTube thing you guys know yourselves is like the with the content i d and like that yeah. that yeah. was kind of a bit of a minefield for quite a while, but um, it's starting to work itself out I mean on t v um it's kind of it's more difficult to figure out if something's been used without permission because if you're licensing your tracks online then you don't know if the company has bought it or not, you're right just, you're just assuming that right. they have. Um, so generally, it's kind of been fairly OK. Content ID would be more where the difficulties were in the beginning, but it's kind of worked itself out now, really. And it's got to be frustrating to hear, like, uh, I mean, I'm sure you've heard, like,
1: you would have written something for maybe a stock site or another film, and then you hear somebody else maybe kind of copied that, not like literally but just you know kind of vanilla iced it you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
2: yeah well i mean you know that's the biggest form of flattery i guess you know imitation is yeah that's true so i mean i i can't really say that i've heard music that sounds that t- similar to my own tracks so i maybe maybe it has been the case but um if if it has been i'd be quite happy with that to be honest that's uh <laughs> that'd be flattering
0: <laughs> i had actually found somebody on premium beats that was selling a song that was real like not even similar but like almost a copy of um uh, the italian composer um ludovico like,
2: oh yes yeah yeah
0: ludovico gandulli i think his name is yeah you love and that guy i love that guy and it's so, like i do, i know his music when i hear it and i was going through pre- premium beats and i just went like i doubt he's selling on here i mean like yeah, you know, yeah. i mean he you know i just i mean maybe he is selling his music on here I, that would be great you know if he is yeah. but great for us yeah i looked and i'm like <laughs> no that's somebody else and it, and then i played the song yeah i i couldn't remember you know cuz everything's you, you, they're really obscure titles, you know, it's yeah. summertime in a breeze. I don't know, I remember which one it is, but I know the song when I hear it. And so I was like going through them and it was very, very close copy. And I thought, well, this is kind of ballsy. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I don't know if anybody will catch it, but I sure did.
2: Yeah. and I mean, that's quite serious as well. I mean, it, that's kind of similar to the whole, the temp music thing. Um, I mean, there have been cases already in the world. Um, Eminem, there was a court case, I think it was last year. Um, a music library hosted a track by a composer and he had a track called Eminem, Eminesque, I think it was called. So it was, (laughs) it was basically kind of conveying that it was similar to an Eminem track and, um, they sued the library and I think they were sued half a million or a million. Um so I mean it's quite oh, a oh, wow. yeah it's quite a serious thing and I mean you're infringing on someone else's rights if you set out with the intent yeah. if you set out with the intent to copy them that you're you're infringing their rights so I mean it it is very serious and it's kind of it's I guess it's a growing concern with the amount of music that's being written these days like like mm-hmm. all media there's there's so much being written and created that there's going to be it's going to become a more a bigger problem I guess as time goes by yeah
0: How do, I I just I'm going to just totally segue. <laughs>
2: like,
0: um, how do you handle, for instance, when a director or filmmaker comes to you with a score and uh, or idea for a score, and it's nothing like what you think fits that mood? Oh like, yeah, yeah. And you know, I wonder because at the end of the day, that is that that reflects on your talents and your mm-hmm. work, right? So if something just doesn't match at all, I would be afraid of someone saying, "Well, who scored this?" Yeah, Meanwhile, yeah. you well, know, I would have scored it properly, but the director insisted on going in this this other avenue.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's happened before in that, um, I've started projects and the, the temp music has been quite, quite different to what I would have expected. And, um, the Mm -hmm. director definitely had a very different vision for the music. Um, just not even for the sound of the music but for the overall score like it was going to be like very very low barely audible um the entire way throughout with absolutely no um breaks in music and uh, this was for a feature film it was it was a kind of an odd situation and with that one i mean at the end of the day um, like you, it, like it's a collaboration, I guess. So it's, it's always trying to figure out like, is, is there a way that I could kind of write something that maybe would fit into the director's idea, but is quite different and still works. Um, and I mean, like for that one, I kind of started out with a few completely different ideas and said, okay, I get that this is where you want to take the score, but I've just took some time and tried to write something completely different. We can go back to back on track if you'd like to, but just take a listen to this and see what you think. So at least they're experimenting with different ideas. And at that point, if they say no, then you've kind of you've tried. You can't keep arguing and go, well, I'm I'm done. I'm not doing this. Um, it is the, right. the director's vision at the end of the day. So I guess it's just trying to Get your points across to experiment with different ideas and see if they work and if the, if it still fits in the, the director's vision. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be hard to,
1: um, you know, because music can be so personal, right, especially when you're creating it. And when you know that you're trying to create something that doesn't fit, that's just got to be much more tough because when you're when you when you get it and you're you're feeling it like you can kind of naturally go to these places with it, but when it's like when it seems arbitrary to you because the 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 vision of the of what you're supposed to be doing is kind of not in sync with what you you know what you what you're naturally doing mm. so I'd imagine trying to navigate through that would just be very tough because it's like you don't really know what would work in that scenario i guess to a certain degree anyway
2: yeah absolutely i mean it it's definitely happened um before um Where you you kind of feel like you're just going down the wrong path and it just doesn't feel right. But I mean, again, it's just a case of kind of discussing with the director and figuring out their motives for for having it like that and understanding the reasoning behind it. Because it could just be that you just don't understand the the point of the music. Mm -hmm. You might expect the music to play a role in like heightening the emotions of the scene, but actually the director wants to foreshadow something else so he's trying to use a totally different type of music that you wouldn't expect and it doesn't sound right to you but actually there's a different idea in mind for what the score is supposed to do for that particular movie so it can be difficult but it's just about trying to get in the right frame of mind and understanding the perspective of the director i guess and that that takes a lot of work sometimes sometimes it's just instant sometimes it takes more work and um, so it really just varies i guess yeah
1: yeah we're an annoying bunch yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, just, just shows passion though, i, I guess, want yeah.
0: something i just don't know what i yeah. want <laughs> great well, get like, back I, to me know, when you do
1: at my day job i deal with uh, a lot of producers and um You know, it's a lot of, I don't know what I want. I know what I don't want. So I need to see a bunch of stuff to know what I want sort of thing.
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah. You have to hear what you don't like before you can hear what you do like. Yeah, And that's got to be frustrating because you're like, I've given you like 50 samples. (laughs) (laughs) In those, those particular cases, like temp music does help because, you know, they can temp particular tracks and go, actually, that style, we can just write that out straight away in this style. So at least temp music in those cases does kind of narrow down the potential paths, I guess. Yeah.
0: I was going to ask you, do you have, um, a, a favorite type of equipment or keyboard or brand that you tend to use or?
2: Yeah. A few different ones. Yeah. GarageBand, right? Yeah, <laughs> 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Fruity loops. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a few different instruments that I like using. I, I have a guitar viol which is um, kind of hard to describe. You're better off looking up a picture of one online. It's basically, it's a mix (laughs) between a guitar and kind of a a cello would be the best way to describe it. It's kind of a miniature Mm -hmm. cello slash guitar. And that's just really cool. There's a lot of film composers in Hollywood would use them for um, kind of really cool textures. That's quite fun to work with because you can mix that with guitar pedals and always just get the sort of weirdest and craziest kind of had sounds and textures out of that and they're always really interesting and inspiring. Um outside of that like if I'm ever working with samples Spitfire audio they have like really really good samples for um orchestral recordings. They um work mm-hmm. with they work with a couple of um different artists around the world as well to kind of create sort of signature series which are um sounds that the artists like so there's a guy called Oliver Arnold's I don't know if you guys have heard of him before he's um He's absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. He does kind of minimal stuff as well. And he has, um, a lot of his music would feature kind of these long, drawn-out violin sounds. That's what you'd hear in some of my stuff on Premium Beat as well. Um, like the for Arnold series is just stunning. It's all just this really, really lush, close-sounding um, instruments that they just sound absolutely stunning. So all the Spitfire stuff would be great as well. Um, but outside of that, like I said, it's usually sort of... I like just working with actual instruments and creating something new every time. Um, even if it's only just on one instrument, just to start a, 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 a score or to start a track, because um, that usually just gives the most inspiration. So usually I'd start with guitar yeah. or the um, synthesizer and kind of go from there. Then
1: yeah, kind of like the hero instrument, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I uh, I I've, I have um. What do I have? I have this. Because uh, I dabble in it, you know, I'm not very good at all. You know, I have Pro Tools and I have this uh, collection of samples called Contact Complete, I think it's called. Yeah, Contact. Something like that.
2: Brilliant, yeah. Yeah,
1: I dabble in that and uh, I'm not very good, but it's, <laughs> it's it's fun, like a lot of the stuff you can do.
2: Oh, it's it's incredible. I mean, there's really just no limits to what you can do with the music software nowadays and like it like in like 10 or 20 years ago it was a kind of a case where you might have needed like you know tens of thousands of dollars to kind of get started with like creating music and I mean nowadays you can literally make music on your laptop and do it for a couple yeah. hundred bucks I mean it's just incredible how easy it is like to get started with writing music nowadays I mean it's just the entire world is just opened up with um, the like the new products that are coming out i mean the synthesizers now just you don't need a an actual synthesizer i have a few of them in the studio but i mean they're easily replaced by just um digital synthesizers on your computer and they sound almost as good you know they're kind of 95 percent of the way there so it's um yeah yeah i mean it, it's really just it, it kind of depends on what you want from writing music you know i mean you can invest in all this crazy expensive software and take years to learn it all, or you can kind of just get started with a couple of instruments and make your own sound from there. Yeah, I just wanted to record, uh, you know,
1: guitar and some drums and that's it i'm good to go yeah i <laughs> think exactly. just the
0: the 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 way that the the uh, sounds have evolved yeah,
1: yeah it's crazy. even on
0: the most basic thing it's when crazy. you got a keyboard remember, in the yeah, 80s it was like you'd hit like a button and you got like the worst version of samba music yeah. that you've ever heard <laughs> yeah and you know a violin that sounded like it had been thrown down a hallway and it was like <laughs> that's the violin and now you know even just a basic four hundred dollar keyboard that you get it. You know, uh, Sam Ash or something or Best is Buy. pretty good. You know, and it's like, well, yeah. you know, considering yeah. that's actually pretty good.
1: Yeah, you, know, like, you can just straight plug your guitar into your. Like I remember back in the day, because I, you know, I would you know try to record just like for band practices and stuff. Try to record my own stuff, and it was like. You know, first you, you record the speaker or whatever, but now you can literally just plug your guitar right into a DI, into your you know your guitar, into a computer, and, like, you're off
2: to the races. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, on the keyboard I side.
0: remember when. <laughs> shaking your cane. Yeah. <laughs> but I think at the same time, though, that's where we come into things becoming overproduced. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, there's a, it's a slippery slope because then people go too far with it, and the simplicity is kind of lost because they go in and everything is it's just so Clean And there's, there's no, uh, there's no organic kind of sound Mm -hmm. sometimes.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it's mirrored in, you know, with, with, in your side of the industry as well, I guess. Like, I mean, it's so easy to get, go down that rabbit hole of, oh, if only I had this equipment, it it would like, it would look much better and I'd be Mm -hmm. able to do this and this, but you can get really just bogged down in buying gear um, at the end of the day, yeah. it's it's not usually the gear. The gear will only bring you so far. It's kind of your experience and just how mm-hmm. you know, what you want to do with it and doing something different with it. I guess that's kind of where it's going. I guess because I mean, you could just spend so much money on all this crazy equipment and do absolutely nothing all day oh with God, it. Yeah, that yeah.
0: was why we. That was why we started the podcast. Actually, was because um, we wanted we to got buy so, gear. <laughs> no, it was just because we got so. Um, discouraged by um, the influx of red users, yeah, red yeah. cameras, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, every everybody. Oh, I don't a want to say our
1: hatred for red started this podcast. <laughs> no, I, well, that's it.
0: I don't hate red. I just hate that everybody thinks because they use a red right. that something's that's going it. to it's look great. Right. That's it. For, yeah. You know, there's still skill behind it. You have to learn how to use it. And so that's why we started because it was like, well, we don't have the budget for that, but we can make what we have look the best that we can. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And that should be, you know, I mean, you, obviously it's it's a visual art, so you want it to look as good as it could possibly look, but there's more to it than that. I've seen, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, Terrence Malick, for instance, you know, some of his, fil- they all look gorgeous. Everything he makes is going to look beautiful. But then there's like a, you know, a 20 minute montage of exploding volcanoes. And it's like, what's yeah. happening here? You know, <laughs> like, so, um, It looks great, but there's still, the storytelling still needs to be told. Yep. And, you know, so it was always about working within your financial um, limitations for the lack of a better word, whatever you can work with. And I think the same thing, you know, you would probably attest to that is that, you know, start out with whatever equipment you have and then build from there if you can. But just because you don't have a you know, $5,000 software doesn't mean that you can't make music.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'd, I'd even say that you, you shouldn't invest that much money in the software as well, because um, I mean, the, the more time that you spend with what you have, the better off you'll be when you can get to the next level, I guess, you know and um, mm-hmm. you, you'll understand mm-hmm. to you you'll know what how to make better use of the equipment that you do have when you get to the next kind of stage in your career and you can afford the next best thing i guess so yeah that's money better yeah, spent I'm, i guess yeah. yeah yeah and i'm a huge believer in that because uh you know i you know we don't we're not
1: millionaires, so i can't go buy an ari alexa or something like that but i can take what i have and if i make that look as good as I possibly can. Then, if I ever have the opportunity to use, you know, better equipment, then it's only going to look that much better. And I assume the same translates to to audio.
2: Yeah, and and it's the same. If if I was a millionaire and I could afford the crazy like expensive equipment. My music wouldn't sound better. But, you know, you could, you might not be able right. to play keyboard. You right. could be really bad at playing keyboard and buy a really expensive keyboard and it sounds absolutely horrific. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's what That's, you do with it.
0: It's just, it's the most richly sounded, sounding horrific thing ever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It'll just sound that much worse.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sounds expensively bad. Yes, yeah. exactly.
0: Expensively terrible. Uh, so before we wrap up, is there anything that that you're working on aside from the documentary or or any um, if you want to throw your your social media or anything out there? Yeah, we'll link so to people everything in there as well. Find you, but yeah,
2: where where, do pe- where can people find you? Yeah, so um, I guess my my website is soundtrack.ie and and um, I'm music for media on Instagram as well. Um, I really need to get better with my uh, social media. Presence for sure, but uh, yeah, just uh, follow we me. We all there. do, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's that's where I kind of try to keep everybody up to date on what I'm working on at the moment. Very cool. Awesome. Very well,
0: cool. you can uh, as as I found him, you can find his work on Premium Beats as well. Um,
1: Use that for temp music go, and then hire. Go listen him. to yeah. his stuff. It's Use his own crazy. stuff as temp music. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> exactly.
1: That's the that idea. Interesting, right? Yeah. Here's the
0: temp music that I've come up with. Oh wait, that's mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's so um so uh thank you so so much for being on
1: yeah I really appreciate it it's our first um kind of dive into the first audio composer stuff. that we've yeah. had
0: on yeah, yeah it's just it, me. it's so important it's so important Often overlooked I think I yeah I don't think I don't think the average person right that doesn't know much about the field thinks about it they just kind of think that the director does everything and yeah. it's like oh that music just kind of got there but <laughs> yeah it's a lot of work <laughs> that that goes into it and what was the name of the documentary that you're working on again
2: uh, train Avenue.
0: Okay, cool. I want to see that now. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's
2: yeah. Yeah, sure. a, a beautiful story. Actually, Awesome. Yeah. Well,
0: thank you so much for being on, Emmett.
2: Yep. Thanks very much for having me, guys. Bye. 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 Yay.
0: Yay. Emmett
2: Cook. I that's found myself really, not even, like even a...
0: asking questions because I was just listening to him. And I was yeah. like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to engage in this. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a great name, though. Emmett Cook. Yeah. It's, like, it's got like a ring to it. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Yeah. <laughs> so,
0: well received. Thanks yeah. for that. Uh, so um, reviews. Mm. What have we watched?
1: Well, I watched the Karate Cobra Kai. <laughs> the, the Karate Cobra Kai.
0: Kai. Car- karate, karate Kai. Kai. I, I was I blasted present for through
1: it. Cobra Kai, which I know you're not a big fan of. You liked the first season, though, right?
0: I wouldn't say I liked the first season. Mm-hmm. I, it just wasn't as terrible as I thought it was going to be. And the second season was as terrible as I thought the first season was going to be. It's going to be.
1: I, I I liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, it certainly has its plethora of issues, but I find it really interesting to, that the um, the journey that Johnny Lawrence is taking. <laughs> journey? The journey? Well, just because, you know, in, in, the, in the films, he was just like a jerk, you know. He was just a jerk that, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's some videos out there that would argue that he's actually the good guy, and that's fine, but... You know, he was just like a one-dimensional jerk who, you know, the girl broke up with him and then he was mad at Daniel and whatever. But I feel like there's just, this series is about him. It's not about Daniel LaRusso. And I find that interesting of him
0: well, it's called Cobra Kai. So yeah,
2: the <laughs> I interesting, think we saw that the, one you know, how
1: they've made his character so much more, you know, flushed out his character. He's not just a bad guy. He's certainly not a great person, but he's. Tr- it's like he's trying, and the whole fish out of water thing that he's playing with, like he doesn't know what technology is. That's and that, the only
0: thing that that's amuses entertaining. me. That's
1: pretty entertaining. About-
0: I liked his character yeah. in the first one. And it's it like, was, you know, you don't okay. really
1: see him a lot, but I feel like he's a a pretty underrated actor. Sure. You know? I don't know. That's how I feel about that. It was fun. I just, it's I an just easy. Think, you can get through it in just like three, four hours or something.
0: Uh, okay. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, the, the member a- berries.
0: The acting is... So terrible okay. from so many aspects. It's like from all avenues. It's mm. just coming at you from all directions. Um, what's his face, the main character?
1: Uh, William Zabka, Johnny
0: Lawrence? Sure.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, the bad guy. Yeah. The bad slash good guy. Yeah. He's he's good. Yeah. Literally everybody else is kind of terrible. And I hope that I never have to talk to these people or work with them. Um, because I, I have to say that I just I mean I, I'm being honest. Ralph Macchio seems like the night I've met. I've known I know people who have met him, mm-hmm. and they're like he's the nicest person, sure. and I don't doubt that. Right. But acting, not so much. Okay. Really, I mean, it's like he's he's literally the same character, yeah. just older. Yeah, yeah. He looks great for his age, by the way. I will throw that out. Yeah. Because he's like fifty or close something, to fifty or yeah. something like that. He looks great, but it, it just there's no depth to that character there wasn't to Daniel in the original karate kids either it was like you know it's like this kid who kind of sounds like he's from New York and I can do karate you know what I mean (laughs) And that's kind of what you have now, except he sells cars. That's, like, really yeah. the only difference there. And um, the woman who plays his wife, it's like she, it's like she's playing it like she's in a sitcom. It's
1: like Sheldon's sister from Big Bang Theory, right? Yeah, that, yeah. that's
0: Sheldon's sister. But she – I don't know. I mean, I've not seen much of her other stuff. Mm-hmm. But the way the character the, – the way the lines are delivered, the dialogue is so, um, like – 80s sitcom 80s 90s sitcom it's this really like predictable cheesy thing you know like the kids have like uh break dancing dance-offs at their house parties, like who does that? And what year is this supposed to be from? Like kids don't do that, okay? Yeah. They take zannies and they have promiscuous sex, okay?
1: Like get with the promiscuous that is sex.
0: not what they do. They don't have dance and drink offs, you know yeah. what I mean? Like they just
1: one-legged get- drink offs.
0: Like what? <laughs> I I I don't know. The, yeah. the I think just kinda season just kind of Just went yeah. way. The first season had redeeming qualities, and the second one just went way over for me. Just yeah. wait, and way too much about the kids. Yeah. The first well, I, season was more about their kind of gripe. And yeah. then the second season became about 16 year old drama. And I'm like, I don't, I, I don't want to watch One Tree Hill with karate. I don't want to see that.
1: <laughs> I like both those things. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just, <laughs> and the martial arts in it is, for the most part, pretty terrible.
1: Yeah. Well, there, that, that was, that was my one, like, I shouldn't say one complaint, but that was the one thing. And it's like, you're watching these students be trained and then the final episode uh sort of spoilery but not really uh there's a, a fight scene and you're like wow these guys are like daredevil all of a sudden it's like <laughs> it's it's actually a pretty you know and they and they pull it off pretty convincingly i'm sure there was stunt doubles but you know uh, a lot of the moves they did and and they pulled it off relatively it just seemed to happen about. too fast yeah. It's like, wow, you can you can do kicks like that and stuff. That's
0: you can do kickies and flips stuff, like kickies
1: that. Kickies and flips. But I know that um the guy who plays Johnny Lawrence does all of his own fight scenes, um, which is admirable. But sure. yeah.
0: Yeah, I I don't know. I mean I think if maybe for funsies, but I wouldn't Yeah,
1: it's for fun. I it's not you wanna watch it and be it's like, not, Oh my you're god. You're not getting like
0: quality writing and yeah. there's not much depth to yeah. Cobra Kai. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um
0: and so the the other the other thing that we watched, God, I, I'm just so torn on this. Mm-hmm. Was um, a film that actually did get a release in the theater. It was directed by Steven Soderbergh, mm-hmm. called "Unsane."
1: Unsane.
0: Unsane, and it was starring Clara Foy. Yeah, right. She's yeah. from the the that
1: British, the British show. Yeah, um, Downton Abbey. Right.
0: Downton Abbey.
1: Downton Abbey, uh,
0: and uh, it's also starring um, Joshua Leonard, who I always know as the guy from Blair Witch. Yeah. Anytime I see Witch him, guy. I'm like, oh, the Blair Witch guy, because he does uh, like a bit of indie stuff. So I yeah. do see him here and there. Um, and it was um, also uh, Jay Farrow, who a lot of yep. people know. Yep. Um Juno Temple yep. had a small part in it. And Jay um, Farrow
1: like playing a not like a serious role, but kind of a serious. Yeah, because like, he's it's more not comedic. being like, yeah. It's not.
0: Um. Oh, where yeah. did I so, just? Well, so here's the oh, thing. The thing about man. this film
1: was that it was shot on an iPhone 6s. I think it was a 6s, but it was shot on an iPhone. Gimmicks. <clears throat> Yeah, um, and I'm sure it was. I don't know. I know you have a couple things, a couple two tree things to say about this.
0: Aside from the cast, right? If you didn't have the, the cast in this, mm-hmm. I think this. If if you didn't have and there's strong another A-list actors, actor
1: that pops in too.
0: Yes, if you didn't have strong actors, um, it would have kind of been a complete nightmare. Yeah, I think that the only thing that held me in in to the story was. That Claire Foy is obviously a, a very good actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also did the last spider web girl, whatever. We haven't seen that last one. Girl in the spider web. Or oh, yeah, what, yeah. I don't remember the last one. Um, but what was holding me in was that it was actually for it was negative in that I was like, I cannot believe Steven Soderbergh did this. That was – I kept – because I wanted to see how much worse – yeah, the lighting and the day for night. For fuck's sake, yeah. can we, just we all agree stop with day for with night? Day for night? Doesn't, doesn't it, like, if you could, if we could not pull this off on Mad Max, think yeah. of the budget that they had. I'm, yeah. I'm talking modern day Mad Max. Yeah, um, not even that was, but that was the worst part of that movie. I enjoyed that movie. I thought all of the stunts and everything was great, but as soon as they hit that day for night scene, I was like, God damn it! <laughs> yeah. stop doing this shit. <laughs> And the, it was unnecessary, and there's no way that they couldn't have pulled off better lighting with this because here, here's the thing that – here's what I have an issue with. This was solely for a gimmick. It's Steven Soderbergh. You have money. You have lots of money. You could have absolutely gotten a budget for this film. No problem. So it became about the gimmick of, oh, let's see what we could do on an iPhone, which I think is great for students, for people like us for real guerrilla indie filmmakers who are mm-hmm. like let's see and 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 you actually need that gimmick to get pushed into the light cuz you're unknown yep. you're known you don't like need to do or this yeah. to me this is like you know like rich people uh, starting a camp in uh war-torn countries for funsies yeah let's just see what it's like to live like poor people oh my god this is this is this is amazing and it's like why why are you filming on an iphone first of all if you really wanted to prove that point and again it wouldn't have made it to the masses but amongst the film community had you filmed that on a red Mm -hmm. maybe with minimal lenses or filmed it on uh you know a black magic cinema or or something like that even? even a dslr a sick anything, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, if you had filmed that on a DSLR with really nice lenses and made the point of saying, like, hey, I filmed this on a DSLR, that maybe may not have struck so much with the regular audience. I yeah. think people that are out of film would have not really cared what that meant. But it was just – un it was unnecessary yeah. <laughs> and insane to yeah. me well, to, so that, that, to do
1: this. That was it for me because – you know, if because by if, the way,
0: the budget was still over a million, million a dollars. dollars. <laughs> so, you know, so.
1: that and that's what it is for me is that you know you want to prove that you can make a feature film on a on an iPhone. Do it with that budget. Then do it with a budget that someone that would shoot on an iPhone would would, mm-hmm. because you're not really proving anything, right? Because at the end of the day, you're still you still have a pro audio guy and mm-hmm. you still have or a girl and you still have like a pro team behind you and yep. lighting and in locations and well, I don't know about all of well, yeah
0: <laughs> i think but lighting was on all, vacation but you have all those
1: other resources at your disposal and you know that's what do you it's it's not a matter of as we were just talking about with emma it's not a matter of what you're filming on it's everything else yeah so if you approach this with the only thing that's different is what you're shooting on, then that's not really that's, proving your point well, of like, well, you can just make any phone. Any. In
0: comparison, you know, uh, Steven Soderbergh doesn't uh, film on million and a half, million and a half budgets. You know, he's filming for millions and millions of dollars. So a million, you know, a million bucks for him is nothing. Still more than we'll ever have. But it's still way more than the average filmmaker yeah. who would need to utilize a an iPhone because they don't have a budget right. would have. Right. So if he, if he had said... All the actors did this for free. Mm. Nobody got paid. Okay, this was all. This was a passion project. Ten grand. Yeah, and we filmed on an iPhone for ten grand. Okay, and Mm. even still, I'd be like, "Dude, bounce boards, something. Did you not have anything? A poster (laughs) that you could just a sheet of paper, just something? Because those day for those those day for nights were horrendous.
2: Yeah, that is actually
0: some of the worst day for night that I've ever seen, and Mm. that's inexcusable coming from a filmmaker. Of, of his that caliber. caliber yeah. That's not okay. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like there's no way he looked at that and went like, yeah, that looks good. So I kind of feel like it's like rich people war-torn country. It's like yeah. he went out of his way to be like, make it look as shitty as possible. It'll be hilarious.
1: Like <laughs> <laughs> what?
0: <laughs> I I don't yeah. I don't know. It had the story was um very creative. I think mm-hmm. that it there was so much potential there. Yeah. Had he just like veered away from the gimmick and, and yeah. done it seriously, or if that had been a film that someone of our caliber had had done with lesser you know with a lesser budget i would have been really impressed with the story i think the story was going great places Mm -hmm. the end got a little bit uh cliche yeah there were some some pretty cliche things that that took place towards the end and towards the sort of, I don't know. I, I don't even know what to call it because there's, there's kind of dips. and Anyway, that that part sort of suffered a bit. But overall, the story was very interesting. And so I just, I, I don't know what the hell he was thinking. I don't know, yeah. Crazy. I really, I think he was yeah. going for like, oh, how impressed people are going to be with, uh, and it did the total opposite. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, oh look, I have all this money and I'm not going to use it. Oh, well, that's, how meta of you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like. I'm not into that kind of thing, I yeah. guess. So ugh, Claire yeah. Ford did great and everybody, you know, everyone did a good job and in, in the, although like Juno Temple, I love Juno Temple, but I don't think I've ever not seen her play this like nasally loud mouth troublemaker type character yeah. or a ditz. Yeah. And I think that's really unfortunate because she's a very good actor. Yeah. And I and I think that's it's more typecasting with it's like there is a Girls specific eat, you know? character, and she always comes up when they're like, yeah. We need a character that sounds troubled, kind of yeah. has a twang.
1: Yeah. But she's British, right?
0: I believe so. Yeah. But she, d- uh, come on. You know, yeah. they, they, there's zero struggle in an American accent for most Brits. We're, we're so easy to mimic.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, like, <laughs> we don't have that skill. It just comes to them like that. So. It's like you know brass teapot that she kind of always plays this. I think they just come to her for that character, yeah. and I just that must be frustrating. though. I wonder if she's like, can I play yeah. another character, please? Someone I swear I can do it, it or something. Yeah, um, yeah. She so she was also in Dark Knight Rises. Yep. She played the sister. Yep. Um, I, I just. That film, that film chapped my ass. I'm sorry. I just, I really was excited for it, and I didn't know that there was a gimmick until we were literally watching it. You were like, "This is the film that he did on an iPhone, right?" And I was like, "No, it's Steven Soderbergh." And then he was like, "Yeah, it is." I was like, "Ah, shit." Yeah, I, <laughs> like, had, I almost wanted to. I didn't even want to watch it at that point. Yeah.
1: And I had read that Jay Farrow didn't know. They were shooting on iPhones until he got to set. What? Yeah, I'd read that in an article.
0: So I'm assuming he got paid pretty well then. Well, we oh,
1: probably, they probably got paid whatever the rate is. That's you what's know? crazy about it. Yeah,
0: that's what's crazy about it.
1: So no, you we can't make that phone. We can't make that film on an iPhone. No, because we don't have the the access to those
0: locations, the, locations
1: and, and talent, and all that stuff.
0: I beg to differ on the talent, sir. There are a lot of great non-union. No, actors no, out there I'm can not pull saying it that. Off. Thank I'm, you very
1: much. I'm just saying that we don't have <laughs> the act- big names. Right, exactly. That's what yeah. I'm saying. I
0: right. would have been more impressed not, if he done that. Not talent
1: level, just talent. I've been more uh, impressed if notoriety. he did that with no-name actors.
0: Yeah. That would have been okay. Put your money into some lighting and and all of that stuff, and certainly pay your actors well, but you don't have to pay them, you know, yeah. five thousand dollars a day or whatever the hell it is they're going to be yeah. making. Um, that would have been a bit more impressive to me had he done that with no-name actors because that's an opportunity right there. You know, you're Steven Soderbergh. Like you can find, everyone's non-union, so you don't have to worry now, right? Mm -hmm. This is not like a a typical set for you. Everyone's non-union, so you don't have to worry about SAG.
1: Yeah, I don't know if he would be, I don't know the rules, obviously, because I'm not in the union, neither of us are, but if he would be able to shoot a non-union film. I don't know. You know, I'm sure he can do whatever the hell he wants. It's true. That's true.
0: Why, if he if he's not utilizing SAG, then it doesn't matter. He can do, I think he could do non-union. Right, but if it, he's, in he's in the director's... He's in SAG, but well, he's in the, the director's guild, rather. Yeah,
1: and does that mean that he can only use other unions. I don't film, know. You know?
0: Well, then you know what? Produce it and have another, and then have a, a, an aspiring director do this. Cause you didn't need it. Yeah. You didn't need the, you didn't need the notoriety for it. You, yeah. you already have it. Like you, I think this would have been great for him to have funded for up and coming filmmakers and been like yeah. here. So here's the gimmick. This is how we're going to get you out there. You're going to film it on an iPhone right. and th- here's going to be your budget. You know, this yeah. is the budget that you have a million and, and a
1: half dollars, a <laughs> million and a half
0: dollars. And you get your actors and you do your thing. And, I don't know. It just didn't sit right with me. I felt like it was a lost opportunity. There a lot more could have come from it. You could have really helped showcase a lot of talent that n- would have otherwise not had mm-hmm. that opportunity and instead you just kind of sank all your money into your cast and which you didn't you didn't need their names. You're already well known. Yeah. So, mm,
1: I would I, I would have yeah, what are you going to do?
0: Nothing. Apparently, yeah. there's literally nothing I can do about that. Yeah. I'm just going to sit here and just, you know, chime out Chime out of my face, Your face about hole. stuff that, Whoa. look at you, you're just knocking Whoa. things over. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so that's that, yeah. anyway. So that, that, that we're, I'm just going to wrap it up. Yeah. That's the end of our episode. Yeah. And uh, next week, we are going to be talking to the Steady Geekin slash Reality Bomb comic cast dudes. We'll see who comes because guess what dropped this weekend? Oh, my God. I can't imagine what film came out this weekend.
1: Yeah, a small indie film.
0: Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about it.
1: Yeah. With we, we we will have seen this by the time this is out cuz we're recording this on Saturday and we release this on Sunday. So we're going to see it on Sunday and um I'm excited to see it but you know
0: I'm excited for you.
1: Thanks. And then we'll talk <laughs> about it next weekend. We'll get all we got to get our nerd on. Yeah. Well, all
0: right.
1: Yeah. And you can sit there and be like I don't know the guy with the thing and then he did the lasers and then ugh.
0: <laughs> all the structural damage. Again, yeah. can we just pay attention to the structural damage to these cities just yeah. saying. Um. Yes. So, thank you again to Emmett Cook and uh, shout out to Reality Bomb Comic Cast, uh Steady to Geekin. Mega Brain Comics, to Steady Geekin', and Brandon and and, uh, and Blake and Perry and Mag and everybody, Colin and John and all you folks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And Emmett, thanks. Emmett. And Emmett,
0: I said thank you to Emmett already. No, I wasn't listening Jeez. to what you said. Uh, and you know we'll keep you updated on yep. um, on our film of vital signs. So come follow us there. You can see our we got our our pendants going. Mm-hmm. Things are things are moving along. We film our, our teaser next month, and yeah. then we we drop our a couple weeks. Yeah, a couple of weeks. Then we drop our our crowdfunding. Launchy thing, which in yep. a couple episodes, we'll talk about how that we we kind of made a bit of a change there. and We'll talk about why. Yeah. So thanks for joining us and stuff. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed our show, Perry. I know that you're listening because you listen every <laughs> single week. Literally yeah. every week he listens to yeah. our show. He's our number one
1: fan. You should get him a shirt or something.
0: We should. We do have them.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't know if I'll wear it.
1: Go to our website to buy a shirt.
0: Go to our website and buy a shirt, Go guys.
1: Gobrillofilmcast.com.
0: Yeah. Buy show, a shirt. Show your support. Yeah. Okay. All right. Whatever. Bye. Bye. We couldn't
2: decide on
0: a song. We, love them. we couldn't decide on a
2: song. We, love them. we couldn't decide on a song. So we came up with this one.